0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com citizens. How's it going, citizens? Uh, there's only one correct answer to that question, and it's no socks. So... Um, it's embarrassing if you said socks. That's embarrassing for you, especially if you people. Have you? Thank you. Have you seen people wear them with like flip-flops? That is literally the worst with socks. Like, I guess if you have like the Nike slides or the Adidas, like in your it's after workout, it's acceptable. But if you're wearing Birkenstocks with socks, sit down uh, because that's just wrong. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name's Paul. Uh, my wife Hillary and I, she's back there. Say hi, Hillary. Everybody say hi, Hillary. Um Hillary and I, we've been part of the citizens community, believe it or not, for five years, which is nuts. Um, so uh, we both started kind of uh, working with uh, kiddos and called them kiddos, that's rude, uh, with students, we don't say kiddos, with students in uh, junior high and tribes, and uh, now our kids, our students, sorry, are 11th graders, which is absolutely nuts, right, Hills? Like, it's nuts, but what's really cool is, um, as we've grown with these students and you guys, like you've become our community, and so I'm I'm really thankful to be able to speak to you guys tonight. So I have have some good stuff. Even a couple weeks ago, you guys like wished me a happy birthday, and that felt really good. And um, so my my question for you guys tonight uh, is real simple: How old? Now you have to be don't be rude, but how old do you think I turned? To I'm <laughs> false. What did you say? Thirty five. I like that answer. Somebody else. 29, 26, 40, you're getting closer. Who said, somebody said 46. So I used to be 46, now I'm 47, good job. Now, I don't, uh, now some of you are like, dude, that's that's older than my dad. Like, dude, you're so old. And it's probably, or some of you is younger, sorry. Okay, so uh, I have a little bit of gray in my beard here, but like, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel 47, like in my body. Like, I feel maybe in my late 30s, you like thank you. I don't know how to take that, but um, so maybe you know. So physically, I feel maybe 35. Um, mentally, I'm maturity-wise, I'm probably 15 or 17. So that's why I can hang out with you guys most of the time because I um, I get it. So anyway, um, but I am. Uh, it was my birthday. And sorry, every, every year I've started this practice. And what's cool is because my birthday's around New Year's, you know, people make New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. It's kind of a time to kind of get your life realigned. Um, so this practice that I started was uh, reading the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's part of what's called the wisdom literature of the Bible, right? You have Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Proverbs, um, Lamentations, those kind of books. And so Ecclesiastes is kind of this philosophical book that's in the Bible. It's really interesting. It kind of answers the question of what does it mean to be human? What's, what's our role here? What does life mean? What does existence mean? And so every year I read this book and every year I come away with the, uh, the same conclusion, which basically is that um, one day I'm going to die. It's going to happen. One day, everything I do, everything I post, everything I say is going to be forgotten. It all is going to go away, right? A couple generations, no one will even know Paul. Thanks, Ted. No one will know my name. No one will know that I was here. So it's basically saying one day you're going to die and you're going to be forgotten. Sounds like a great read, right? You're all going to go home and read Ecclesiastes. But it, it really, the mindset behind it and the wisdom behind it is that what are you going to do that lasts? And the only thing that lasts in life is what we do for Jesus and what we do for God. That's my legacy that's our legacy. And so my job as um, a leader here at citizens is to not point you to me and, and my funny stories or whatever, but to point you to Jesus because even though I'm 47, God's not done with me yet, right He's still molding me right I'm a little moldy haha uh-huh. um, I'm molding I'm being molded into Jesus God's still What happened? Did I break something? There we go. So, um, I guess my job though is not just to tell you the truth out of this book. My job's not to just tell you this truth, my job is to show you this truth. My job is to model it for you. And that's what, what our leaders are here for. That's why we're here. We're here to care about you, but we're also hopefully saying, hey, it's not about me. It's not about Danae or Leah or Hillary or Scott. It's about Jesus. That's our focus. So let's make that our focus tonight. Will you guys uh, pray with me? Um, Father, tonight we ask your blessing upon this time as... Uh, We look into your word, and we look to you for hope, our only source of hope, Um, and knowing, God, that you will not let us down, you will not fail us, and Lord, that your word does not come back void. And so I pray, God, that your word would just minister to the hearts of students tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So my job, as Psalm 145 states, is this, one generation shall commend your works to another. That's my job tonight, and that's why I'm here. So, um, I don't know if you guys have seen these videos on the TikTok or the Instagram, but uh, maybe even on YouTube, if people still watch YouTube. um, there are these videos where, um, let's say, five girls come into a room and there's a guy sitting there like on a stool or whatever and there's a host and the, the guy's job is to rate the girls in order. Have you guys seen these? It it's, it's, you're like, yes, it's awful. It's, it's really bad. And I don't know why people would ever volunteer to be a part of this. It's so cringe. Um, but now there's these ones where like they just show the guy the picture and, you, and he has to like say, is she a 10, right? Or the girl, is he a 10, right? And so um, the, they show him the picture say, so she's, uh, yeah, and he's like, well, she's like a seven. Um, and they're like, well, what would you, what would she need to do to become a 10? <laughs> and everybody's like really nice. Like they're like, oh, well, you know, I, have, I don't know her personality, bro. So I'm not going to say anything. But like, like some people are actually really rude and like have said things like, um, I don't know, like his nose is kind of big. So maybe he could get a nose job or like uh, maybe he should wear contacts. Maybe he should work out more so he can bench like 220 or I don't know whatever a high number is at benching things, but whatever a high number is. All right. So what could you change to become a 10 and there's always that one guy on there that's like how would you rate yourself he's like bro i'm a 10 you know there's always that guy and there's always the girl that's like dude that guy's like a two (laughs) you know so there's this perception and reality that we kind of play with and thinking that you know we should all be tens i don't know why people do this to themselves but where am i going with this i'm glad you asked so in the past couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans. It's really heavy stuff, right? And the first two chapters, first three chapters of Romans can really be summed up this way. One, chapter one, the whole world is screwed up and um, it's under the wrath of God. That's it. That's chapter one. The whole world is screwed up and under the wrath of a holy God. In chapters 2 through 320, which Ben taught to last week, is that this, there is nothing that we can do to fix the problem. There's nothing that we can do to fix the problem. Even if we kept every letter of the law and we did everything right, there's nothing we can do to fix this because we'll never be good enough. In other words... Every single one of us are zeros, okay? Say, I'm a zero. You are, you're all zeros. I'm a zero too. Um, We're all zeros. The whole world, none of us are tens. None of us are tens. And maybe some people think, well, I'm a seven because I'm pretty good, like I go to youth group, I go to citizens, like it's finals week, man, and I'm here, like I should be home studying, but I'm here, so I must be doing something right. Maybe I'm a six and a half. Or we think I've done this, or I, I serve in this, or I help these people. I, I let that guy in in traffic when I, was, when I was driving. But the fact is, guys, is that we are all zeros, and there's nothing, our works, our deeds, our stuff, being good people, there's nothing that makes us tense, nothing that we can do. I wish that I could tell you um, that I have everything figured out in my life. I wish that I could tell you that I wake up every day and the first thing I think about is God's kingdom and God's glory, but I don't. I think about Paul and what does Paul want and what does Paul want to do, right? I wish I could tell you that my motives are pure, right? Like the things that I do, they come from a pure place, but they don't. They come from a selfish and self-centered and self-serving heart. I wish that I could tell you that I love God's glory more than my own, but I don't. I love to hear people say my name. I love it when you guys say, we love you, Paul. I love that. Of course. Who doesn't love hearing their name? I wish I could say that I love God's glory more, but I, but I don't. I love my own. I wish that I could honestly say that selfishness and greed were things that were in my past. I wish I could say that materialism and envy and covetousness, that means wanting what other people have, Right? I wish that they were not a part of my life, but they're, that would be a lie. I'm a zero. I wish there were times that I wasn't impatient or irritable. My family can attest to this, right? I wish there were times that I didn't flip that guy off uh, while I was driving yesterday, right? <laughs> so I wish that I could tell you that I had everything down. I wish that I could say that I honor God with my thoughts. I wish that I could say that I honor God with what I look at, with what I watch, how I spend my time on my phone, but I don't, because I'm a zero, and, and here's the thing. like I don't need to watch the news or read the paper if people still do that, um, or look at what's happening cross the river in Portland to know that the world is going to hell. I don't need to look at the news to know that. I only have to look at myself, right? Have an honest conversation with Paul to know I'm a zero. I'm a zero. I don't need the world to tell me that, right? I'm the problem, right? It's me. Hi. Yes, I'm going there. I'm the problem, it's me, right? You guys know this song? this is Taylor Swift, maybe? No Taylor right? So, hey, dude, I'm a Swifty, right? Um, so, let's go. Um, she's playing for the Chiefs now, I think. So, that's good for her. Um, anyway, so, I'm the problem. Everybody say, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I am the problem. Most of our problems would be solved if we'd stop blaming other people and thinking they're the problem. And we realize, I'm the problem. Say, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. It's me. So this leads us to think about this question, right? If all of the, the world is going to hell and it's under the wrath of God and there's, there's nothing that we can do to fix it, so what does fix it? What fixes this problem. What fixes the mess of me? The Apostle Paul put it this way later in Romans chapter 7. He says, who will save me from this wretched body of death? Who will save me from this wretched body of death? Any of you guys watch The Walking Dead? It's okay to raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Somebody's honest. So it's one of my favorite shows. Um, it's a little violent, um, but to say the least um now this guy is talking about taylor swift and the walking dead does he even know jesus um so like yes the walking dead it has an ethos it has a worldview if you've never seen it it's basically about these people trying to survive a zombie apocalypse and the main character rick wakes up in the hospital and the whole world he's by himself all alone and the whole world has gone to hell Now, what's interesting is that, and this is kind of a spoiler, but it doesn't really matter. It's early on in season two, Rick finds out from the scientists that even the people that have survived are going to turn. So it doesn't matter if they're bitten, right? They're all going to turn when they die. And so there's this moment where the characters actually realize and they say, we are the walking dead. And that's us. We're the walking dead. We walk around in these flesh bags, right? But in the end, we're, we're, we're zeros. We're not good enough. We're like carrying around death all day long. Paul says, who's going to save me from this wretched body of death? What's going to fix it? How does it work? And how will they do it? So the answer to that question tonight is in this really dense text we're going to read in Romans chapter three. This is some heavy stuff. So um, if you have a Bible, there's some in front of you there. Um, Also, if you didn't get notes, there's a little note paper thingy guide that you can write some notes in, okay? So Romans chapter three, this is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all zeros. But we are justified by his grace. Oh, do we earn it? No, it's a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where things get really rich and dense. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Well, that's a big word. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in who? Jesus. Okay, so this is really dense stuff. We're going to be theologians for just a few minutes, okay? Now, these are some very deep and complicated sentences. In fact, many scholars, people a lot smarter than me, have said that this uh, paragraph is probably the most important para- theological paragraph in the scripture about Jesus and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection all in these 128 words. It's probably the single most important paragraph ever written about Jesus. Everything of the who, the what, the why, the how, how it's all fixed is all summed up in these 128 words. I counted them, because I'm good at counting things. Okay, so I'm gonna do my best, I'm not gonna lie, this stuff is dense, Um, so no pressure, right? So I'm gonna start off real simple. The first two words of this passage, okay? We're just going to start right there. But now. But now. But now. These two simple words change everything. Everything pivots on but now. Everything pivots on these words, right? Everything. But now, because what happens is it it, it shifts the flow of the whole letter, right? But now, this. We were this, right? We were condemned. We deserve death. But now it's justification that we don't deserve. We're going to talk about what that means. We had the law of death. Now we're under the life of grace from a religion of works and deeds to life-giving faith and relationship with Jesus. It's grace, not law. It's mercy, not merit. It's faith, not works. It's God's salvation, not self-salvation. You ever notice, I've been on this earth 47 years and I'm a bit of a book hound. I love going to bookstores. Powell's Books is probably my second most favorite place on the earth besides Music Millennium. I love the smell of Powell's. If you've ever been in there, it's like old books and coffee and sweat. It's it's a beautiful aroma. I wish they could bottle it and I would literally just like spray it in my house all day long. But I love books. But here's the thing. Over the years, I've noticed every year, the self-help section just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. you think they would have figured it out right now. It's not gonna work. There's no self-help book that is going to save you. It's only God's salvation. So let's unpack some of this. So verse 21, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been mani- manifested, that means shown, apart from the law. What does that mean? So but now. God's righteousness has been shown apart from the law. Remember Paul was making this argument over and over that the law is, it's done away with it. It had its purpose. It showed people sin, but we realize that keeping the law doesn't save you. So the, but now must come and that's Jesus. And it's been manifested. And it says, although this is good, this is interesting. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. So this is the old Testament right here. Right, And this is the New Testament right here. So what Paul is saying, and we've talked about this before, is that everything that's in this part points to this part. They're all connected. They're all interwoven, and it all points to Jesus. It's the first point you can write. It all points to Jesus. All of this, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it, it points to what God is going to do or did in the old, uh, in Jesus, and it says they bear witness to it. What's the it? The it is a who, right? It's it's righteousness through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Paul's saying that the law and prophets have always pointed to this. So here's the first example. If you look in Genesis, right, the very first book of the Bible, one of the main characters that we meet along the way there is this dude named Abraham. Abraham's a cool name. We don't name kids Abraham anymore. We should, because then you could call him Ham. You could say, stop, hammer time. I mean, sorry, this is just random thoughts in my head that are not on my paper, and I should stick to my notes. So um, Abraham, he's this guy, if you guys remember from tribes, God made a people to, say it loud, God made a people to be with and bless, right? So Abraham is the guy that God chooses, his people, and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you, your name, great. I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name like and your your descendants as many as there are stars in the sky and sand scattered on the seashore. And Abraham's like, dude, I'm 70 years old. There's no way this is happening, right? No, he doesn't say that. He says in Genesis 15, verse six, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Faith. That's what's talking about. Faith, believing God. Abraham's belief, his faith, his trust were counted or reckoned to him as righteousness. He wasn't a perfect guy. If you read the rest of his story, dude, the Old Testament is rated R, bro. Like there's some crazy things that happen and a lot of them are God's people, God's characters making really bad choices. But Abraham still had held fast despite his mistakes to his faith and trust that God would bring him through, that God would make good on his word. Because ultimately, it wasn't about doing the right thing. That's not what made him right with God. It was his faith, his belief, his trust that God is who he says he is. So that's Genesis. Skip forward a couple hundred thousand years, and you have Isaiah, like the mega prophet, dude. And Isaiah points to Jesus too. He says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. In other words, we're all zeros, but someone's gonna come and fix this problem and he shall bear their iniquities. So all of the law, all of the prophets, it points to Jesus, it all points to him because God is making the world right. He's fixing it through who? His son. It all points to Jesus because he's a ten. Let's keep reading. All right. Picking up in verse 22b. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It all points to Jesus because Jesus fixes the mess we're in. So just as a reminder, um, Paul kind of in the middle of this says this amazing sentence that a lot of you have maybe probably memorized, that for all have sinned, right? And what does it say? And fallen short of the glory of God. So in the middle of this, Paul's like, I can't really let go of this we're all zeros idea. He's got to throw it back in like, hey, just a reminder, we're all zeros, period, right? No one's good enough. But let's pause for a second and, and not focus on that so much because we've talked a lot about that, let's focus on this word glory. Because glory is not really a word that we kind of throw around. Anybody use the word glory lately? Maybe the glory of sports, the glory of love, the glory of the victory, right? The glory of the win. Um, The word glory, it usually means like, you know, prestige and honor and distinction. And it's from the Hebrew word kavod. Everybody say kavod with some enthusiasm, come on, kavod, kavod, thank you. So kavod, and it means honor, it means prestige, it means distinction, but ultimately, it means weight. What? It means heaviness. It means depth, it means fullness, it means realness, like God, His glory is so heavy, it's so deep, it's so rich, it's so full because he's the real one. He's the only real one, right? He is real, and by comparison, we're just empty, right? Compared to God's glory, compared to that weight, we are empty, we are hollow, we are weightless. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? God's glory, the weight of his glory is so heavy and we are so far from it. The weight of his glory, he's a real one. And by comparison, we're all zeros, okay? So how does Jesus fix this mess? Now, Paul gets into some really big words. First, he uses one from the, um, the world of, of law and, and justice. Anybody wanna be a lawyer when they grow up? I see nobody's hands, good answer, Oh, right there. Sorry. Uh, No. So Paul fixes this mess. And what does he say? Look at some of these big words. First of all, he says, we are justified by his grace. He justifies us. What does this mean? Well, it's a legal term and basically it means declared not guilty, right? judge has slammed his gavel down. God has said, not guilty. All the charges are dropped, removed from our record. Legally, it's like a person had never been accused because when God forgives, it's real because he's a real one. I'm going to come down off the stage now. Humans don't work like that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Welcome back here. What's up, Jason? High five. Um, Aiden. You always carry around this amazing bag. It's mine now. (laughs) Let's see what Aiden has in his bag. No, just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you, bro. I wouldn't do that to you. But this is mine now. Is that cool? Okay, so no, if I... Okay, here, I'll give it back to you. Do you forgive me? Yeah. Okay, thanks for forgiving me. Okay, now, Aiden, forget this ever happened. We can't do that. Like Aiden can say Paul I forgive you. He can say I I that's fine. I love you, right? You love me, right Aiden? Right? So you can say I forgive you, but in the end you still remember that that happened, right? But with God when he justifies us, it's like we committed that offense, he forgives us and then he forgets it. It's gone. Here's the cheesy way, okay? This is kind of the dad line, the dad joke, but justification, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's an old one. It's just as if I'd never sinned. God has justified us through the grace of his son and our faith and belief in his son, right? It's wiped clean, it's just as if I'd ever sinned. Now how's this possible? This is done through uh, the next word, redemption. Everybody say redemption. Redemption, redemption is, maybe we use this word when you think about coupons, right? You're gonna redeem a coupon. Uh, Redemption means to um, set a person free. To set a person free. Free from what? Well we know, free from sin free from death, free from ourselves. In the Old Testament, let's say you borrowed 10,000 camels, right? Because you might you need 10,000 camels. I don't know why, but you need them. And then uh, the guy comes and says, hey, dude, I, I need the money for the camels. And you're like, well, actually, um, we ate them all. I don't know what they do with camels. Do they eat camels? Does camel taste good? I don't even know. But they, got, they, they can't pay back the debt. So now he's in debt, right? We're in debt. We bought 10,000 camels. We can't pay it back. So what happens to us? Well, I have no money. Um, You seized my house, but you still owe money. So what would happen would be I would be sold into slavery in order to pay back my debt of 10,000 camels. That would take me 100 years in olden times with drachmas and things. I don't know. It would take a long time to pay back that debt. But here's what could happen. My family could come. And my dad could say, "Um, we'll pay his debt. And I would be redeemed. I would be ransomed. A price has to be paid for me to be set free, right? For us to be set free from sin and death and ourselves, a debt has to be paid. Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, paid the ransom price, right. He did this. And then here's the big word by being our propitiation. Let's say that one. Propitiation. Let's clap it. Thanks, Keem. Propitiation. That's a lot of syllables. It's a big word. Um, What does it mean? Anybody use use that word lately? Mm -mm. Never heard it before? Thumbs up if you've heard that word before. Thumbs down if you're like, Bro, what is he talking about? I have no idea. Okay, thanks for your honesty. For reals. Like, this one sounds kind of scary to us, but think about it this way. It says that, um, let me go back to the text, that God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. Propitiation means averting the wrath of God with a perfect sacrifice. Averting the wrath of God with a perfect sacrifice. Now this kind of sounds scary to us because we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. Like that, that sounds scary. That sounds like Zeus like striking lightning bolts because we're like bad people, right? Or we, we offended him. We like to think about God as like God's the God of love and and he's the God of grace. And those things are true, absolutely. But God is also holy. God is also just. God is also perfect. And I think that the reason that we don't take our sin very seriously sometimes is because we don't take God seriously. We don't take our sin seriously because we don't take God seriously. Because it's like, oh, whatever's, dude, he's the God of love and grace, bruh. Like, no. He is, but he's also um, a God of wrath, and that demands a sacrifice. So when we when we shove off our sin and say, hey, it's no big deal, we are spitting in the face of Jesus because we're saying that his sacrifice is just a thing. It's not real, man, it's, what, what, it's whatever. <sighs> Be careful. God presented Jesus as our propitiation. As our propitiation, he averts the wrath of God. He demands a perfect sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, because Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live so that he could die the perfect death that we could never die. Here's another place where propitiation is used. Did you guys get it off the notes, averting the wrath of God with a perfect sacrifice? Thanks. It also shows up in uh, 1 John. Now, I, I love Paul, I'm named after Paul, um, but I, I'm kind of an Apostle John guy. I love the Apostle John, he wrote the book of John and the book of um, real, um, uh, real cool names, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, real creative. Um, but in 1 John, he says this, but if anyone does sin, I I love the difference between Paul and John. Paul's just like, we're all under the wrath of God, and we're all messed up, we all fall short. And John says, hey, if anyone does sin, (laughs) of course we sin. What does he say? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who? Can we throw that verse up there? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is 1 John 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but the entire world. Oh, it's okay. It's the wrong John. It's 1 John. That's okay. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our defender. Jesus is our justifier. Jesus is our redeemer. He's already suffered um, the penalty in our place, he alone can stand before God because he paid the death penalty that we deserve. Jesus fixes everything. Jesus fixes it all. So well, it's like, well, what, what do we do with that? Like, and Paul says, it's real simple. Our job is to believe it. like, what? No, there there must be some catch. Like, I must have to do like a thousand cartwheels perfectly in order to earn this. What do you mean? And he says, no, Jesus has already done it. You just have to believe. You have to have faith. Faith is trust and belief in something that we can't see. Paul uses the word faith three times here. He says, uh, faith in Jesus, believing that he's real, that he's a real one, faith that his blood is enough, and that God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's faith, belief, not um, works, not what we do. We'll unpack that in some other verses uh, as we continue our study in Romans, but our faith, it's the heart of the gospel. Here's the thing, guys. No other religion is like this. No other religion says, um, just have faith. Just believe. Every other religion, whether it's um, Islam, um, Buddhism, Mormonism—you guys know that Mormonism is not Christianity, right? Say yes. They do not believe in. They do not believe in Jesus, guys. Every other religion says, "Do this, earn this, be perfect." raise your kids perfectly, have a perfect marriage, and then you'll be blessed, or whatever it is, right? It's all about what you can do. All those other religions believed you're saved by self-salvation, self-realization, self-edification. It's all self-centered, ha <laughs> ha, that's funny. It's about being a better you. But Christianity is not a religion of works, It's a gospel, right? It's the good news. It's the news that God's grace has turned away his wrath, that God's son has died a death and borne our judgment, that God's mercy is on the undeserving, right? And there's nothing left. I can't contribute to that. All I can do, faith's only function, is to receive, and that's hard for us in our culture, where we like everything costs something. But it's a free gift. It obviously, cost Jesus His life, but it's a free gift of grace. Wow. Let's finish with some of these last verses. Paul says, "All of this, all of this, was to show God's righteousness, His right standing, His right, uh, His rightness, because in His divine forbearance, that's His wisdom, He passed over former sins." What does that mean? We'll talk about it. It it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This all points to the heart of who God is and what he has done to fix us, to fix me, to fix you. It's his righteousness, his rightness, his making things right. God is a fixer. He's a 10, right? The only 10. And it's Um, When it says his forbearance, it's talking about God's wisdom, his wisdom and understanding time and space and past and present that God is like, we live on a timeline, right? And God is the page that the timeline is written on. Like God's not on the timeline. He sees everything outside of time. And it says in his divine forbearance, he passed over those old sins. That's the people that were before Jesus. She's like, what about those guys? They all messed up. It says God passed over. In his righteousness, he was able to do that. Okay. What we see here is the breadth and wisdom of God moving through time. Only he is just. And not only just, but he's the justifier. He's the only one. He's a 10 because... Because he is, because he's the perfect 10. If you think about it, like he is the epitome of God, right? God putting on skin, coming to earth, dying a perfect death. He is um, the perfect 10. And here's my main point it's because there's no one like Jesus. Jesus fixes it all, it all points to him because there's no one like Jesus. He's a perfect 10. Only he can be God's perfect representative to man, right? He came, he showed us what it was to live a perfect life, and he's also man's representative to God because he lived that perfect life and he died that perfect death, so he's both. He's a 10 because he's God in flesh, and he's a 10 because he was a man. it's, It's all a mystery that Philippians 2 tries to unpack, right? That he was all of those things. He's the perfect man, and he absorbs the judgment that we deserve And as the representative of God, he bestows grace. Okay, it all points to Jesus. He fixes the mess we're in because there's no one like him, right? He justifies us before God. He redeems us by his blood. He is the perfect sacrifice. And by grace, through faith, we believe. That all sounds great. It's right thinking, right? It's theology. Theology is the study of, anybody know? God, good job. That's why we're here. Now, this is some heavy theological content that we've covered tonight, right? We've talked about glory. We've talked about justification. We've talked about redemption. We've talked about propitiation. And you might be wondering, why does this matter, dude? I got a test tomorrow. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we think right about God or we have a right understanding of what God has done, that we understand justification and we understand redemption and we understand propitiation and what Jesus accomplished on the cross? It all matters because all theology becomes biography. All theology becomes biography because when we understand who God is, we understand who we are. We understand that we have been stamped with his image, that we are created in the image of God, that we have the imago Dei, the image of God pressed upon us, right? Because when we understand who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through him, what God has accomplished, we understand who we are. Remember that but now phrase, right? We were this, zeros, but now we're this. We're tens. Say, I'm a ten. I'm a ten. You're a ten. But not because of anything that you did, (laughs) okay? Jesus makes us tens. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, what? We might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we were zeros and because of Jesus we're tens. When we believe, right? When we believe. Guys, here's the deal. God can't look at me. Because when he because he's a holy God. God can't look at Paul. Because I'm full of sin, I'm full of death, I'm full of wretched thoughts. I make terrible mistakes and terrible choices, but when I believe, that Jesus is enough, that he's my savior, I ask God to forgive me, and it's just as if I'd never sinned. So when God looks at Paul, he sees his son. He sees his son. He sees Jesus, because he can't look at my sin. But he can look at Jesus, because Jesus covers it all. We're zeros. Jesus makes us tens. My favorite verse in 1 John is, it um, says, so see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we would be called the sons and daughters of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. We're no longer the walking dead. We're no longer carrying around this death in our bodies because His death brings us life, right? He makes us righteous. He makes us his own. He makes us sons and daughters and calls us by name and says, hey, come home. Come home. Are you weary and tired? Are you tired of carrying that weight of trying to fix yourself and trying to be perfect? Trying to have the good grades so that you get that attaboy or way to go, sweetheart. Sweetheart. You can't fix it. There's no. There's nothing that's going to make you perfect except Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one. We are zeros, but now we're tens. There's no one like Jesus. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up. Bow your heads with me. Father... Um, I just want to say thank you, thank you for, um, for what you accomplished on the cross through your son Jesus, for what you're doing in this community of faith here at Citizens, God, as, as students put their belief and trust in you and know, God, that with you they are forgiven and they are in right standing with you, God, and it is by your grace that we are saved and we thank you so much, God, for your grace in our lives. Father, I thank you for um, just what you're doing in students' hearts. And Father, may we take um, this talk seriously and take the idea of our our sin seriously because God, we need to take you seriously. Seriously because God, that, that, that you seriously care about fixing us, about bringing us home, about healing our hearts and the things that we put our trust in that aren't you. So Father, tonight, if there's something on people's minds or hearts, God, will they, students, I just pray you just give that over to God right now. If you feel like there's sin that you need to confess and, or you just need to say, Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you're enough. I believe that your blood covers my sin. I believe, God, that your forgiveness is offered freely. God, I'm tired of trying to be a 10. I can't make it on my own. Father, may your your son work now in the hearts of these students. May your spirit descend upon this place as we think about, God, what you've done and who you are so that we can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.